Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. So good to see you. Hope you're enjoying uh, Christmas at Eastgate. We've got a we always do this in December. We take a few weeks together and sing songs that we rarely sing together and enjoy this, this, these festivities. There's a reason we do it. It's not just because the songs are in themselves beautiful or because you know we love nostalgia, which I personally do. But that's not the main reason we do these kinds of things. We do it because the Savior Jesus has come. Uh, because God became a man and dwelt among us and then died for us and has saved us. This is the news of Christmas. And that's why we're doing this thing this year called Advent. Churches all over town, all over the nation, all over the world are doing Advent during this season in the very way we're doing it. Lighting candles, hope, peace, joy, and love together. And that's, that's why we decided this year to do something a little bit out of the norm. We've never done this particular tradition at our, at our campus. And so I hope you're enjoying it so far. Today, we're talking about the idea of what Advent means. Last week was hope, which Christ's coming is certainly about hope. His coming again is certainly about hope, but it's also about peace. This thing that is so particularly hard to find and keep, peace. Such a difficult thing. And we sit again, I talked last week about this idea that we sit, sit really in the great parentheses, if you will. God, Christ has already come and is coming again. And now we sit in this space, this really interesting space where we recognize the peace of God has come to us, but it's not totally fulfilled in us yet. We're in this like already not yet kind of phase. And so we can experience the peace, but almost with a veil on it. And that's where I want to spend some time today is this idea of how to experience, experience peace in a real way because Christ has come. This is, this is where this begins. We just sang about this, these wonderful names. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the bringer, the Prince of Peace. This is exactly what the angels tell the shepherds too in Luke chapter 2. It says, Glory to God in the highest, on earth and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. This is what Christmas brings. It certainly brings hope beyond just wishing and it brings peace. Now, that's an interesting thought, because if you do kind of an internal check, like an inventory, or if you just think about what you've been observing, what you've been watching, do you observe a great deal of peace? Probably not. Like, if you really consider what you're seeing around you, what you're seeing on TV, what maybe you're even experiencing personally, peace might not be the word that comes to mind. In fact, peace is pretty rare. Peace is extremely rare when it comes to the sense... When po most people think of peace, they think of the absence of war, which is not something humanity has experienced much at all. If you look historically, it's rare that we ever have peace. Even in our own country, war, war aside, we're a very divided nation. Maybe some would argue the most divided we've ever been. So what is this peace? How is this possible that Christ has already brought peace? Well, James gives us a little bit of clarity, and he shares this in chapter 4 of his book, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is 
causing the quarrels and the fights among you. Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? Here's why we fight. It's very simple. Because we're messed up inside. (laughs) Here's why we fight. Because we're already fighting with ourselves in the mirror. So of course we're going to keep having quarrels. Of course we're going to keep having divisions. So how is it possible that we can have peace beyond that? Well, the good news is we absolutely can. Because that's what God set out to do. Not to simply have tranquility on, on, in the world, but to bring peace to your heart. Where peace is truly <laughs> needs to begin. So I want to give you an opportunity as we begin to kind of take a self-check, a self-inventory. Are you at peace today? And I want to give you four things to consider. And just in your head or to your neighbor, if you want, write it down, whatever. On a scale of one to five, meaning I feel peace always is a five and I feel peace never is a one. The first being this, do I feel a sense of peace with God? This would have to do with do I, am I disappointed with where I am? am? Do I feel unforgiven on certain issues? Are there unresolved conflicts that I have with the Lord? Is it clear that God's will is upon my life? Is there some conflict between what I want and what He wants? Those would be things to question of, do I have peace with God? Do I have peace with myself? This is where we often struggle the most. This is why we don't have peace in so many other areas, because we don't have peace With ourselves, am I free from anger, from fear, from frustration, from constant envy? Is my body at peace? Am I physically ill? Am I agitated, stressed out, nervous? Or do I have a sense of calm in my soul and in my body? Then there's, do I have peace with others? Do I have a consistent habit of letting other people rob me of my peace? Is, is that really what gets me messed up all the time is, is someone else. If, if he says this again to me, if she says this today, I'm going off. If I go to work and my boss does this, I'm losing my cool. Do I have peace with others? Do I have some unresolved offense? Are there feelings of hatred that I have? And then the last is this. Do I have peace with circumstances? Have I allowed whatever the goings-on are in my life to disrupt my ability to have peace? The car broke down. The bills are stacking up. The, 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 the thing happened at work that I was hoping wouldn't happen. I didn't get the raise. Do, do you remain calm in the face of trouble? Are you able to have peace in the midst of those storms? Consider that for yourself today. Do I have peace in these areas? Probably like me, there's at least one of these areas where you know you are struggling, and perhaps it's the very place where I'm trying to really do this myself. I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in that area. That's often the story for me. And so that's where we want to dig in today. How do we have peace? The Advent season brings in this invitation that the Prince of Peace has come. So we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of John. Here John reported how Jesus gave his disciples this incredible promise of peace. In the last days, in the last, in fact, this message comes from the Last Supper, the night before Jesus is going to be betrayed, or the the night of that, and the night before his crucifixion. And we can have this peace, this promise he gives to his disciples, we can have it as well. What does this peace look like? What is this peace that Christ has given us? I pray you'll see today in the text three wonderful gifts that the peace of Christ 
has given us. Here we go. John chapter 14, just two verses, 27 and 28. Christ says to his disciples and now to us, Peace I leave with you. What kind of peace? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. This is incredible things that, that Jesus has said first to this generation of people and now to us. This peace he has promised. Here's the first thing he promises it will do. It will calm our troubled hearts. The peace that Christ gives calms troubled hearts. This is where he begins. You'll see the word peace several times in the text, right in verse 27. And it's not the world's kind of peace. It's a different kind of peace. He says specifically, it's my kind of peace. The kind of peace that Jesus has where he can go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray and cry drops of blood, but then having heard Jesus say, or having heard the Father respond in whatever way that looked like, no, my son, this is my will for you, this is my plan for you, for that man to get up and say, go will I then, and face the cross, I will face it. I'm, the Bible, in fact, says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's the kind of peace he's talking about. The kind of peace that can face the greatest turmoil imaginable. There's nothing worse than what Jesus faced there for us. And he says, now you can have it. <laughs> this peace, my peace, it's yours. How? How is this possible? Because we begin this process of trusting in him, of moving all of the things, all of the expectations, all of the things we're concerned about, we begin to lay them at his feet. Now, surely Jesus probably said, and I think it's extremely likely he said, shalom to them. Shalom is this Hebrew word that to this very day continues to be a common greeting in the Middle East, a common greeting all throughout the world, anywhere there's Jewish people or Islamic people, anywhere these people uh, exist, you'll hear some variation of shalom. In Arabic, it's salam. You'll hear salam. Uh, I've got some friends that I've been trying to get to know over at, at the uh, Saku Sushi down there. Just so you'll know, those people are not Japanese. They're not Chinese either. They're Indonesian. There's a, there's a ton of them in there. I would have never thought this, but I brought my dad in there, and he'd been to Indonesia. And he, thought, he saw them and thought, those look like Indonesians. I can't tell. I don't know. And he starts speaking uh, some of their some of their, uh, their conversational language. And the way they greet each other, depending on the part of the day, it begins with salamat. Salamat from shalom, from salam. It means peace be with you. This is a common greeting throughout the world. And now Jesus says this powerful ver verb, this powerful word from Hebrew that appears over 200 times in the Old Testament is so rich. He says, I'm going to give you my shalom. But in a unique way. You know, a lot of things the world gives, if we're honest, most of the things that the world gives us are temporary. Whatever, whatever peace is to the world, whatever peace means to them is very temporary. If peace means the absence of conflict, that's probably only going to last the day. 
If peace means the absence of conflict, you may not be able to get through Monday, right? If peace means the absence of conflict, I don't even have to send you to work. All I have to do is send you home and you'll find a way to have conflict. Do you have children? You're telling me you've gotten through the week with no conflict? You're amazing. That God, is bl- God has so blessed you, if that's true. You've probably had at least a prickly moment with your spouse recently. And then you add work into that. Then you add everything else. It begins to pile on. So the world gives what? It gives this temporary fallen version of peace, which isn't peace at all. Because if peace is merely the absence of conflict, then it's not really something that's <laughs> worth achieving at all. It doesn't mean much at all because we know Tomorrow, there'll be another thing to worry and face and fight. No, that's not what Jesus says he's giving. I'm not going to give as the world gives. Because maybe peace also means this sense of, of happiness or this sense of contentment, which is based on situations. And that's the kind of peace that the world will give you. That if you have enough, if you spend enough, if you make enough, if you get the right person in your life, if you have the right kids, you get the American dream, you finally go on that dream vacation, you will have peace. And maybe you will for mere moments. But it won't last. Every year we do these wonderful vacations with both sides of my family. And it's great in the moment. But here's what I do. And maybe there's something wrong with me. That's okay. But I'm immediately already thinking, that was expensive. I can barely even get through the week before I start going, man, I could have spent that money fixing something at my house that would be permanent. Yeah. There's something wrong with me, I'm sure. There's something wrong with all of us, though, when it comes to this peace, this contentment. Peace is so, so linked to contentment, and we can't find it in stuff. We can't. And many of you have tried. I've tried some, and I've found it empty again and again and again. It satisfies me briefly. Even relationships, they satisfy me briefly. And then I start to go, you know what? She's wonderful, but she can't fix me. These kids are great. I love them, and they bring something out of me, something good, something bad. Some things I needed revealed to me, the selfishness in my heart. But they don't fix my contentment. There's got to be something else that can fix my peace, and there is. There is, and the world doesn't have it. The world doesn't have it. To this, Jesus says, so let not your hearts be troubled. The word troubled here is a fantastic word. It just speaks right to me. In fact, right here he has said an imperative verb. That means a command. This is a command from Jesus. When you receive my peace, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled in your hearts. This idea of trouble is the most close definition of this word is inward commotion. I love that. Aren't you in a state of inward commotion at times? Have you ever just been sitting somewhere and you can't even wrap your mind around why you feel agitated? I know I'm not the only one that's experienced that. Where you're sitting there going, I can't even remember what has me frustrated, but I'm frustrated. Happens to me from time to time. Some some of you, I bet it happens quite regularly. Restlessness, anxiety, inward agitation, a troubled state of mind. That occurs when we're so inside of ourselves and so working out our own problems. There is an absolute solve for this. And it might sound Sunday school, but it's going to take time. It's going to take discipline 
for you to begin to take those moments. And instead of what I have a temptation to do is come beside Nicole and say, I cannot figure out why I'm frustrated today. I'm racking my brain. Why am I so irritated? And I have that kind of awareness, but I bring it to her. And she has never been able to help me. It's not because she is not smart. She's highly intelligent. But how in the world could she figure me out when I can't figure me out? And I certainly can't figure her out. No, why would I take it to her? Why would I call somebody up when I need to begin the discipline of saying, I have no peace today, Lord. My peace is gone. I don't know. I don't know I'm thinking about a million things. I don't know which of these things has got me all, all messed up. I need the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which surpasses all wisdom, all, all human wisdom. That means there's nobody that can fix this for me. Why is it that we have such a, a tendency to go inward or to go to external relationships rather than vertical? This is just human nature, but it's, it's not going to fix the issue. It's not fixed mine. So there has to be a new discipline, a new habit where we say, I truly want this peace, Jesus says, it's his peace. And if it's his peace, I'm not going to be able to get it anywhere else. So what you're saying then, Jonathan, is prayer is, necess- is a necessity. Yes. Absolutely, yes. It's, you want peace? You want the peace of Christ? It doesn't come from anywhere else but Christ. So spend time with him. Turn those thoughts, those words vertical. This isn't even that challenging. Take the very thing you're already doing and move it up. The worry, the anxiety, they're robbing your peace. Put them into words vertically. Okay, maybe it won't totally alleviate your pain the first time. That's because the idea here of peace is a habit of peace. Is a, the idea of prayer, in fact, is not a single prayer, but prayerfulness. That I will begin a life of prayer. That I will begin a discipline of spending time with God in His Word and in prayer. I can tell you this, at least for myself, and that's all I can really speak to, is that when I long for peace, I can find it there. And when I spend time there, I tend to have more of a life of peace. Some of you aren't morning people. Some of you are incredible morning people. I don't know how you do what you do. But I think there is no, there's no substitute for starting your day with Christ. There's no substitute. doesn't matter if you're a morning person. Drag your awful self before the Lord. He loves you. He made you. Oh God, I'm not a morning person. Duh, I made you that way. Come in here anyway. Let's see your messed up hair. I, come, I wake up like this. Y'all would never imagine just the way my hair looks when I wake up. I sleep. I think I sleep like this. It just, I just bring my cockatoo self right before the Lord. Here I am. I'm not a morning person. But there's no substitute for starting with him. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Here's our problem. Apart from Christ, we're going to be at constant war. We're going to be at war with ourselves, at war with others. We're going to be at war with this world. This is what Romans says in chapter 8. It says, the mind ruled by the power of sin is at war with God. We just read this in James. What is causing the quarrels and fights? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You're already at war. Bring that before the Father. Bring that before him. The solution is simple. Romans 5 says, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, 
by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. It's only in him that we have peace. The disciples recognize this in a very interesting way. This is quite a popular story, but I want to remind you of it because it's so important what's going on here. That for us, we, we, we cannot have ability. We just do not have a human ability to have peace in a storm. We just don't. Don't look down on yourself and think, man, what is wrong with me that I get a little frustrated when everything is exploding in my life. So does everybody else. You're not alone. When, when, when sickness enters your house, when death enters your house, when everything is going wrong in your life, everybody feels a sense of anxiety and stress and trouble. To this, the disciples had to experience a very important lesson. I want to read this for you. This is Mark chapter 4. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. (laughs) He awoke and rebuked the storm and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled now, (laughs) I love this piece, they were filled with a new great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? To this I've often heard, the question still remains so important though. You can handle the storms outside of your boat if you've got the right person in the boat. I know that sounds cliche, but that's what's going on here. And Jesus, interestingly enough, when faced with your storms, can sleep right through them. And the reason is because they're just not that earth-shattering to him because he has the cattle on a thousand years. He's on a thousand hills. He's the creator. He's the omniscient one. He's all-powerful. Your storms, although they may be terrifying to you, are so easy for him to simply say, peace, be still. And here's what's true about the Savior. It's not that he will always make the storm stop. But he can say, peace be still right in your heart every time. This is real peace. This is real peace that the circumstances around you don't even have to change for you to have peace. In fact, they can get far worse than this. And yet Christ in your heart can say, peace be still. The question then is, who are you spending time with? Who who are you going to and casting your troubles and your fears Here's the second promise he makes through his peace. It calms our trouble, but it also eases our fearful thoughts. It eases our fearful thoughts. He says, secondly, the second command. These are both commands from Jesus. This is fascinating. That when you have my peace, don't be troubled. But also, don't be afraid. Now, he uses an interesting Greek word here, and I don't know, some of you don't care about this. Some of you do, so I do it for those who do. I hope it seeps into those who don't care. Maybe it'll seep just a little bit. You know, there's two Greek words for fear. We often use phobos. We know this word in the English, in fact. Phobia is an English word. Phobos in, in, the, in the Bible can be used in a positive and in a negative way. The Bible calls us to fear God. Phobos, that is to be in awe of him, to be in reverence of him, that's good. Here, though, that word isn't used. Here it's the word delia, 
Delia, which is always negative. He says, do not be Delia, which has more to do with cowardice, with timidity, with the kind of fear that robs you of your ability to move forward. That's the kind of fear he's speaking to here. Do not be so afraid that you're unable to move to, your, to, to this point where you can't function. He says in this very spot, neither let them be afraid. This kind of fear has no place taking up space in the mind of the believer who has peace with Christ. This is the kind of fear that makes us go, I don't know if I can really... I don't know if I can really walk with Jesus in my workplace. I don't really know if I can talk about Christ among my family. That's that kind of fear robbing this, this, this inability to, to live for him because of fear. People all over, Christians all over the world are wrestling with this kind of fear. I don't know when I can speak up. I don't know if I can act right. If I don't act like my friends, they're going to know something's different about me. And what will they do? This is a... I fear that we've not been called to. How do we obey this command? That's peaceful. I like that. How do we obey this command? Focus on the Lord. Give your fears to Him again in prayer. Isaiah 26 says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. (laughs) Because He trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, this is the idea that the, the thing you trust in is very important. This is, this is where fear is hiding. That first point is this idea of like trouble and anxiety. That has a lot to do with, you know, with the situations and with you trying to manage them. But, it, but this second one has to do with who you trust. Because fear is, is hiding underneath this awareness you have. And it's, a, it's actually the right awareness that you cannot decide what happens next. You, you don't have any, any real power to decide what happens next? Now you can go, and if you want Taco Bell for lunch, I do that a lot. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you'd want that, you can go get that. But here's what's interesting. How do you know it won't be closed today? You have no power over that. Oh, you can make that decision. I'm going to Taco Bell. Maybe it's there. But here's what you can't control. Who's going to be in the road? What's happened today with our rain in Rocky Mount? Maybe there's a random flash flood. You can't control these. And that's like... Using these things in hyperbole, but understand that this fear that's underneath is this central awareness that you actually are completely out of control. Suddenly you may have some illness that you couldn't see coming. There's nothing you can do about that. There's this, <laughs> this thing that's occurring in you that's causing fear. And the only way to get rid of it is to finally look to something that you can trust in that actually has some control. And we do this, humans do this all the time. 
We put that trust then in other places. We put it in our bank accounts. We put it in our careers. This is what every person does. They say, hey, if I can make enough, if I can work enough, if I can get the right people around me. Maybe, you know, in ancient times, people would have lots of kids because that was their retirement plan. I'm not sure that plan works so good nowadays. They'll just put you in a home somewhere and say, bye, granddad, like, get out of here. But there's these plans that we make, and man makes his plans again and again, and he, he puts his trust in those. If I have enough, if I make enough, if I get the right people around me, maybe I'll be okay. But in our heart of hearts, we have this aching fear still. That's because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hole there that God made. <laughs> there's a hole there that God is supposed to fit into. And everything else you're trying to pour in there and trust into is just continuing the process of fear. Instead, we're called here to come before the Father, to trust in Him and say, not my will but yours be done. Let your peace rule in me. This is what Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called into one body, and be thankful. I did a study on this this week. This idea of peace got me really thinking about just humanity and the state of war that we constantly find ourselves in. Here's a fascinating statistic. Did you know that there's roughly about 3,400 years of of recorded history, if you will? About 3,400 years. Out of 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them. That means for 8% of our history, we've known this type of peace. Over 3,000 years of our recorded history are spent in war. Isn't that insane? At least 108 million people have been killed in wars just in the 20th century alone. Some estimates say at, at a minimum, over a billion people have died in wars in human history. Over a billion You'll be happy to know as proud Americans that the United States of America has had a grand total of 15 years where we've not been at war with someone. 15. We're 247, just so you know. We're doing a really good job over here of having peace, at least in the world's standard. Because worlds, the worldly peace is achieved by the sword. That's how it's achieved. But Jesus gives a far different kind of peace. The kind of peace that has the power to rule over your heart. The idea there of rule in Colossians is the idea of an umpire behind the plate. That the peace of God is what stands behind you as you're taking throws and calls balls and strikes. That this peace says you're safe or you're out. That this peace causes your heart to keep score in a whole new way according to The peace of Christ. And here's why. Because peace itself, just so you know, the answer to the, what is my peace? Well, peace, in fact, is a person. So trust in the Lord because peace is a person. Let your mind stay focused on Him. And here's the third thing that He's doing in us. And this one was a hard word. It was a hard word to the disciples. It's still a hard word to us in verse 28. That the peace of Christ makes our hearts rejoice. It makes our hearts rejoice. It calms our trouble. It eases our fear. It makes our hearts rejoice. 
Here's what he says to his disciples. And you would have been right there with them. We would have been just as confused as they were. So don't belittle these poor men. As soon as Jesus begins to tell them, Hey, I'm coming to to my end, the end of my rope here soon. I'm going home to be with the Father. And it's going to come at great price. But... But it's going to be a great gift to you. Your salvation is at stake. This is the stuff he's beginning to tell them. He's been telling them through his ministry. But here in the Last Supper scene, he's washed their feet. And he's, he's been teaching them all the more about how he's going ahead of them. This is an, earlier in John 14. I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have said that. And this is what Jesus has been saying. And now, here's what the disciples do. They do the very thing me and you would do. Philip is saying, okay, you're talking about this relationship with you and your father. Jesus, can you show us the father? This is what Philip begins to say. It's not a terrible question. Jesus gets a little offended by it, rightfully so, because he spent several years with them. And he says to Philip, have I spent all this time with you? and You don't see me for who I really am. I and the father are one. I and the father are one. Another disciple asks him, okay, <laughs> How is it, how is it, you say you're going away and that the rest of the world's not going to be able to see you, but we're going to be able to see you. How is that possible? Jesus says, wow, you guys are, you guys are a little thick, a little dense. I've just now just told you about this Holy Spirit that's coming. And he's going to reveal stuff to you. The Spirit of God, <laughs> the very Spirit of God which raised Christ Jesus from the dead is coming to live in us, believers. Well, now that's a fascinating thought in and of itself. When, we, when we're robbed of peace, that means we're just seriously stepping back and saying, you know what, the Spirit of God was supposed to live in me. I'm just not going to access that right now. I'm just going to pretend that thing's not relevant in my life because if it were absolutely like taking control and leading the way, if I let the Spirit of God really rule in my heart, this idea of peace would not be all that confusing to me. And Jesus says to, I think it was Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, and says, hey, the Spirit of God's going to come and reveal all this to you. That's how you're going to see me and understand me, and they're not. And, and he can just look at, here they are at this table having dinner together, and he can see on their faces confusion and fear and trouble. And to this, he says in verse 28, if you'd have really loved me, you'd rejoice when I told you this. Because if you really loved me, you'd understood my purpose all along. My purpose has always been, the purpose of Christmas church has always been, Easter. The purpose of God became man is not just because it's cool. Not because God just did a cool stunt. Oh, look what I can do. Wow, he could have done anything. He's been doing amazing things throughout biblical history. He's been doing amazing things throughout human history. You could argue some of the things he's already done are way more insane than what he does with the virgin birth. That would be a subjective thing. No, I didn't do this. I didn't do this just because it's neat, just to show my power. God can do that and has done that all the time. He has become a man so that he could take on the cross because we couldn't do it. We had no power to be made right with God. There was nothing we could do. We were stuck. And that's where so many of your friends and family and your community are stuck in this reality that there's nothing I can do to have peace with God. And yet that's exactly what Christ has done. And that's what he's explaining to his disciples here. If you guys had really understood my purpose, if you really loved me, you'd be rejoicing. You'd be rejoicing knowing that what I'm about to do is your only hope. 
It's your only hope. And you miss that. You've been missing that for three years in my teaching. I didn't just come here to do miracles. I didn't just come here to be a king. I'm going to be a king in a way you never, ever expected. You were expecting a Messiah who would free Israel from Roman rule. That's not what you're getting. You're getting something better. And that's still the truth of Christmas. Still the truth of the gospel. Is that what you wanted from God was not nearly as big as you were asking. You weren't asking the right question. You were hoping. You were hoping that somehow God would fix all your problems and your sickness and your trouble. And you were hoping that maybe, maybe God for just a moment would heal this brokenness in you. And you were hoping... Oh, that he would make everything right in your life and all the relationships would be mended and all of the things that you've been considering are robbing your peace and you missed it. It was way worse than that. You couldn't be made right with God at all. And your destiny was to be apart from him forever. To those people, Jesus says, you wanted me to be this minor, minor king. You wanted me to be this Small picture of a Messiah, I'm more. Christian today, non-believer today, I want you to understand something. Jesus is more. And if you really loved him, you'd be rejoicing. You'd be rejoicing that the Son of God became became a man for you. That he took on the cross for you, you'd be rejoicing. No matter what you're facing, no matter the horrors you've been dealing with this year, that stuff in comparison to what God has done and is doing and will do for you is worthless. That's why Paul is able to say, when I consider my present sufferings, they pale in comparison to eternal glory. And he went through a lot, a lot more than most of us. To that he says, my present sufferings, I don't even look at them because I know I really love Jesus, and that love causes me to rejoice. Causes me to rejoice. Where's your joy, my friends? We're going we're gonna to spend a lot more time on joy in a couple of weeks. We're going to spend a lot more time on love. But they're so deeply connected. He says, if you really had the peace of Christ, if you really had my peace, your heart would be rejoicing. Because that's the natural state of peace. And when you have real peace, peace from God, you can rejoice in spite of circumstance. You can rejoice no matter what people say to you because in your heart you know God has done something more. He has done something bigger. And he's going to do something more than I ever expected. Oh, I thought I was just supposed to be a doctor. I thought I was just supposed to be a police officer. I thought I was just supposed to be a preacher. No, Jesus has more. He has more. My career, that was just a minor aspect of what God wanted to do in me. He says, no, I'm going to make you a son. I'm going to make you a daughter. And I'm going to send you out to be my representative, my ambassador of reconciliation to your family, to your friends, to your workplace. Do you understand that Christ has given you more? And that should make your heart rejoice. Friends, are your hearts rejoicing? Are you able to lay down your trouble at the feet of Jesus? Are you able to put your trust in Him and experience joy? This is what He says, John chapter 16, that we live in between these two advents. But this is true. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Guess what? 
In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's one of the things I absolutely love about Christianity. About this faith because it's authentic to my experience. Some people, some faiths would tell me, oh, it's all going to be okay. You're not really experiencing what you're experiencing. No, Jesus says, guess what? You're going to have some trouble. Things are not always going to be easy. He tells his disciples in another place, hey, if they're calling me Beelzebub, they're calling me the devil, imagine what they're going to call you. You're going to have trouble in this world, but that's okay. It's better than okay because guess what? I've overcome it. What you thought I was going to be, I'm more. This Jesus, when you love him, when you know him, you will rejoice. Spend time with him. You want to get to know him? Spend time with him. You want to learn to love him? Spend time in his presence. You won't have any trouble like, God, help me love you. No, he will do that all on his own. And you will have peace and your heart will rejoice. Let's continue now in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a Savior who loves us in spite of us. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came regardless of whether we deserved it. And we absolutely did not deserve it. But you came because of your love for us. Because you are a creator and you care. Because you are a Savior who is far more. Because Lord Jesus, you're incredible. And we thank you simply for who you are. This time of year is a reminder to us, Jesus. That you are more than just a mere king, just a mere earthly Messiah. You are more. And we thank you that you saved us and set us free. And we're asking now, Lord, would you give us peace in a real way? I pray this week, Lord, that those, those in, this, in this congregation who are hearing this and maybe don't have any sense of, of, of peace in their life, don't have any real habit of being in the presence of God, God, I pray, would you do something miraculous this week? We don't deserve this. You don't owe us this. But I'm praying boldly, Lord, would you show up in a a real obvious way to that person who has no habit of prayer, but is in deep distress and needs your peace so desperately, Lord, would you show up and make your presence known to them? That you would would honor their, their, their small move towards you however small it may be, that if we just come a little closer to you this week than we have in a long time, Lord, that you would come and draw near to us. You promise us this in your word, Lord. I'm calling on your promises. Help us now. Encourage us that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And that we would experience this peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. That we would get a glimpse of what that is even this week. For those people in the audience right now, Lord, I'm praying for them. The things that are robbing them of their peace, that they would lay them at your feet right now. Whatever's coming to mind right now, that they would lay that at your feet. The bad relationship, the broken thing that's happening at work, the terrible situation, the sickness, the brokenness, that they would lay that at your feet and say, Lord, you call me to not be troubled. I don't know how to do that apart from you. Would you give me your peace? God, show us yourself this week. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.